Thanks for listening to the weekly teaching podcast for City Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. It is our desire to be a Jesus-centered family on mission. If you live here in Knoxville or are ever visiting the area, we'd love to have you with us at one of our Sunday gatherings. You can find out more at citychurchknox.com. If you're interested in giving financially to help us reach more people in our city, you can give easily at citychurchknox.com give. And finally, if this teaching is helpful to you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. You can email us at info at citychurchknox.com. With that being said, here's this week's teaching. Um, good morning, everybody. My name is Eric. Uh, if I have not had the chance to meet you yet, uh, I would love to do that. I am a pastor in training here at City Church. Um, I get to see a lot of your faces every day, which is awesome because I'm normally up here doing music, but I don't know a lot of you, so I would love to get the chance to meet you guys um, if you would like to come up afterwards or anything like that. Uh, so if you've got a Bible with you, you can go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, we're going to be at the end of chapter 1, into the beginning of chapter 2, so verses 22 through chapter 2, verse 3. If you do not have a Bible with you, uh, there should be one under your seat or under a seat in front of you. Um, if you're using one of our Bibles, the page number is going to be up on the screen. Uh, but we're going to get there in just a minute. Uh, we are not going to land there just yet. And also, if you do not own a Bible at all, feel free to take one of those with you. Uh, we would love for you to have access to one. We'd love that to be uh, a gift to you if you do not have a Bible. Um, and as Kent usually says, if you just happen to be a Bible collector, uh, let's not have this one be a part of that. So. Save it for people who don't have one. Uh, so if you have been coming around for a while, you will know that we are just a few weeks into a series on First Peter. And so First Peter is uh, a book all about how followers of Jesus relate faithfully to, to the people and the systems and the world around us and the, the structures in the world around us and what it looks like uh, to live a life of exile as a follower of Jesus. So in the first week, Kent talked about what it means to be in exile. So basically living in a place where we don't always belong or we don't always fit in. Uh, he, gave us, he gave us a phrase that kind of summed up what followers of Jesus are supposed to, to be or how we are supposed to live when we are in exile. And it's that we should be a distinctive, influential presence. So then in week two, Marcus spent some time talking about the hope that followers of Jesus have in exile. And then last week, uh, Kent touched on what holiness in exile looks like. So uh, all of that has led up to, to where we're going to end up today. So in this section of passage, Peter turns to talking specifically about how we should be that distinctive, influential presence. How, how we as followers of Jesus can be that in the way that we interact with other followers of Jesus. So we're going to just jump straight into the passage. I'm going to read it all the way through, uh, and then we're going to spend time today just unpacking what the author is trying to communicate to their readers, um, and we're going to go from there. So take a look at your Bibles at chapter 1, starting in verse 22. It says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice, and all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, 
that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So, like I said just a second ago, this is where Peter gets really specific about how our relationships with one another as followers of Jesus are one of the ways that we should be a distinctive, influential presence in the world. So this, this is one of the pivotal ways that we grow, as, grow in maturity as followers of Jesus. Right, so he, he draws a, a straight line in these verses between our spiritual maturity and our relationship with other followers of Jesus. There's a direct connection between those. And so um, I think whether, whether we would say it or not, I think a lot of us tend to view spiritual maturity uh, more as what I would call a, kind of a, a spiritual or a personal piety is what I would call it. Um, so maybe how much a, a person reads their Bible or how often they pray or um, how, how spiritual they act or how spiritual they talk or how expressive they are in worship. And sometimes those are all really helpful things. Those are really, really great things. Uh, but that is not exactly a full picture of what spiritual maturity looks like. Those, those are helpful things. But in this passage, Peter is going to say very explicitly that spiritual maturity must necessarily work itself out into our relationships or else it is not spiritual maturity at all. Um, so a person who, who is incredibly spiritual in every way uh, but can't seem to navigate their way through deep, meaningful relationships in a healthy way is not actually as spiritually mature as they let on. Um, so hyper-spirituality, I think, is far too often confused for spiritual maturity. Um, so hyper-spirituality, I would just define that as uh, when people rely on really spiritual-sounding language uh, and really spiritual-seeming actions to communicate maturity instead of actually letting the Holy Spirit shape their hearts and to be uh, more aligned with Him. So th- those are very different things. Uh, that is not necessarily spiritual maturity. Uh, so another way to, to look at this is to think that uh, the vertical, so our relationship with God, always impacts the horizontal, which is our relationship with other people, right? And in the same way, the horizontal areas of our lives will always reflect the vertical. So the horizontal will reflect the, the vertical, and the vertical will impact the horizontal, right? So our relationships with other followers of Jesus are going, or, or lack thereof, really, are, are a very telling litmus test for the genuineness of our relationship with God. So, It's not just that Peter's making a big deal out of this, right? It's that Peter insists that the way that we navigate relationships with other followers of Jesus is one of the ways that the world is going to discover who God is. I mean, Jesus himself says this in John 13. You don't have to turn there, but he says one of the primary ways people will know that we are his disciples is how we love one another, right? So if if Jesus himself saying that one of the primary ways people will see him is the way that his followers love one another is not enough of an emphasis on our relationships with one another, I don't, I don't really know uh, what, what would be enough of an emphasis. So when we look at this passage, uh, we, we can see that the author is communi- communicating three main ideas. Uh, he is talking about uh, what followers of Jesus should do in relationship with each other, talking about how we should do it, and then finally talking about why we should do those things. So we're going to jump straight in. The first thing that Peter wants us to do is found in verse 22. He says that we are to love one another sincerely and purely. So the author says that we have, 
purified our souls by obedience to the truth for what? It says for a sincere brotherly love. Right? So the, the word here is uh, Philadelphia or Philadelphos, but uh, it means the, the love of brothers, right? So this is also where we got the idea to name the city in Pennsylvania, right? Philadelphia. Uh, despite the fact, I think most of us know, there didn't seem to be much brotherly love specifically in West Philadelphia. A couple of guys who were up to no good. Um, So if you don't get that reference, feel free to look it up later, and you're welcome, uh, because it was a great one. Um, But bringing things back real quick, uh, we're told that this love described in 1 Peter is a natural and consequential outflowing of what we have experienced in our lives as believers. So the love that we are seeing described here is natural and consequential outflowing of what we as believers have experienced. So then the author switches over a little bit and then commands us to love one another, right? So I think we have to to talk here for just a second uh, about love for just a bit. Um, I'd say in general, this is not true of everyone in every setting, but in general, I think a lot of people tend to view love as an emotion, right? Uh, we love parents. Uh, we love sports. We love kids. We love coffee, right? We love jobs. We love hobbies. We love carbs. Can I get an amen, please? Um, so I love my wife. I love Indian food as well. So I love all of these things, right? Uh, the current bachelor, Pilot Peter, just loves all three finalists, right? All of them. Um, <laughs> But if you really think about it, that wouldn't make much sense as a command, right? That, that doesn't make sense in the context of this passage. You can't just command someone to feel something. You can't command someone to have a certain emotion, right? I can't stand up here and just be like, everybody feel happy. Go ahead. Now feel sad. Like, that's, that's not how it works. That's not how emotions work. I mean, life, life would be a lot easier, sure. Counselors would make a lot less money if that's how that worked, but it's not. You can't just command emotions. So when we see this command to love one another, we know that it's not an emotional thing. It's not a warm, fuzzy feeling that we get around somebody, right? Um, I think if we're honest, I think a lot of us wish that that's how it was sometimes, uh, that the the scriptures commanded us to to love the people that we felt that way about. Um, I think it would make it a, a lot easier to know who does and doesn't deserve our time, right? Uh, But that's not what it's talking about. It's not saying, uh, you know, you don't have compatibility or or warm fuzzies with that person. Just go ahead and move along to the next group. That'll be fine. Uh, Difficult time relating to to someone based on your preferences. Thank you. Next, right? So that's not what the command is at all in this passage, right? Right? It's exactly the opposite of that. It is not a command to seek out easy, low-barrier relationships with other people. It is a command to prefer relationships with followers of Jesus. So it's an entirely different word uh, than the, the word we used earlier. Peter is not commanding an emotion like we said. He's commanding action. The word agape that he uses here is a command to prefer someone. A command to deliberately and consistently put other people before yourself, 
That is what he is commanding us to do. The author is calling followers of Jesus to actively and intentionally and selflessly pursue this love of one another and this depth of relationship with other followers of Jesus. But Peter doesn't just stop at saying love one another. He doesn't just leave it at that command. He, he says that we should love one another sincerely and earnestly. Right? These, these words are really important for us to, to get in order to understand where he's going to go later on in this passage. So the author is not just saying we are called to love one another. He's saying that this should be a sincere love, a, an unhypocritical love. He's putting a ton of emphasis on the way that followers of Jesus should want to love one another, not just the fact that they should. And so this, this depth of relationship uh, probably sounds a little bit odd, at the least. Uh, and the simple response is probably because it is. Um, it, it is odd. It's something, it's something that should make us, as followers of Jesus, distinct, like we talked about, and like Ken talked about in week one of this series. Uh, if you take a step back and look at the world, just in general, the world at large, um, I think there's usually at least uh, a thin layer of fakeness going on right, in people's interactions, uh, pretty much everybody tends to, to some degree, just be a little bit less than honest about who they are, right, and about the different things going on in their life. Uh, there's generally just some underlying insincerity going on, right? But in First Peter, followers of Jesus are, are being called to actively fight against that trend and intentionally pull back that veil on our lives in our relationships with one another, so our relationships with one another as followers of Jesus should contrast with many relationships in the world around us. It should be something that makes us distinct. So we know right there what the author is calling followers of Jesus to do, right? So that leads us to the question of how are we going to do this? How are we going to go about doing what we are called to do? What needs to take place in order for this to even be possible? So on one hand... We need to put away or avoid all the things that are the opposite of a sincere brotherly love, and namely the things in chapter 2, verse 1. So those things, he says, to put away all malice, all deceit and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. So simple enough, right? Just put it away, you're good. Problem solved. Uh, just go ahead and stop using all of the things that feel like your most natural response is to protect and preserve yourself. There you go. And you, you've done everything you're supposed to do. Uh, no, earlier we had we this command to, to love one another without hypocrisy and with sincerity. So in order to do that, it would make sense, Peter says, to put away everything that reeks of insincerity. Right? So I want to run through each of those five things that, that Peter says are signs of insincerity that we need to put off. Uh, I want to I work through them just, just to give some clarity real quick on the kinds of things that he's actually talking about here, things he's talking about putting away and uh, just pointing out how they are all different manifestations of insincerity. So the first one, he says, is malice. Um, so malice is, I'm not going to put definitions up there, so you're going to have to be a quick note taker if you're writing this down. Um, malice is basically a, uh, a strong distaste for a person, even when it's not outwardly expressed. Um, so if you've ever been in a place where uh, you just can't stand to be around another follower of Jesus, another person who, who is also following after Jesus like you are, but instead of confessing that and dealing with it, 
uh, you just pretend to be totally fine with them and act, act super normal around them like nothing's going on. Right? That, that is what malice is. Uh, so the next thing he says is deceit. So deceit is that second word. So deceit has uh, this connotation of um, setting a trap for somebody or baiting somebody into a certain behavior. So it's when uh, you might know uh, a person's tendencies or you might know something that will set somebody off or something that will hurt somebody, uh, and then you deliberately choose to lead them into that with your behavior. That's what, that's what deceit is. Um, the next one he says is hypocrisy. So I think a lot of us uh, generally know what this means, and uh, I think we can all see that it shows up in a lot of different ways, and the word gets thrown around a lot. But uh, a couple ways I want to highlight that I think it comes up specifically uh, in relationships with other followers of Jesus. Uh, one of them is to pretend to not be struggling when you actually are. Um, so this is something that I would call partial confession, um, saying, like, I'm just struggling with a few things when, in reality, you could list off a dozen things that are just killing you, right? But instead of that, you just say, I'm, just, I'm struggling a little bit. Right? So that's, that's partial confession, or that's, that's not being honest about where you are. Um, or even it could come out in things like um, somebody will bring something up and you'll say, I'll, I'll be praying for you. And you never do. Right? I'm sure nobody but me has ever done that. But that is an example of hypocrisy. Right? So the next thing that he brings up uh, is to, to put away envy. Uh, so this one, this one's pretty sneaky. I think. Um, And I think a lot of us have a tendency to wade into this one without even consciously realizing that it's happening. Uh, One thing that that I've noticed, so it it happens a lot when when something really good happens in someone else's life, uh, and we'll jokingly say stuff like, I'm so jealous, right? But you actually, you really are jealous. Like, it's not a joke. You're actually like, oh my gosh, I wish that was my life. That sounds awesome. Uh, And we'll openly talk about how we wish we had the things that someone else had in their life, but we rarely confess it. We'll talk about it all day, but we don't actually actually address the fact that 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 is envy, right? Well, sure, some people, when they say that, that just might be another way for you to say, like, I'm so happy for you, which is great. Be happy for people. I love that. Uh, But I would also encourage you to examine whether or not there might be some underlying envy in situations like that. Um, I also want to throw this out for this one in particular. Uh, social media is an envy machine, right? Instagram would not have a business model if not for envy. Not at all. That's just what it is. And hear me say this. I am not saying social media is inherently wrong or to not use Instagram. I use Instagram pretty regularly. I'm not saying it's a bad thing inherently. But I think it is something that we need to pay close attention to. Because this is something that can sneak in really, really easily and can be really, really destructive in our lives. Okay, I know we've, we've gone on for a while on what I said was quick points. But here's the last one. He talks about uh, putting away slander. So slander is uh, it's when, when you, so it's when you talk about someone or say something about someone who is not there. Uh, with the goal of tearing that person down, right? So it's when, when, we try to, uh, when we try to color the way that a person sees someone else in a negative way, that's what that is. 
Um, so you'll know this is happening when, when you might be having a conversation with someone, and the win in the conversation, like I, have, I am victorious in this conversation, is when you can come away from that conversation and the other person thinks the same thing about someone else that you do. I think that's a way that this comes out a lot. Um, also, another way to, to identify this, if you talk to a third party about your problems with someone else's character more than you talk to that person, that is slander. And that is insincere. That is what that is. So I want to go through all of these in detail, like I said, because I think it's really helpful to be able to see just some quick examples of of ways that this stuff comes up, because you can read through those words and it might not really click much in the day-to-day life. But I I want people to be able to identify them and spot them in themselves and in other people that we're walking in relationship with. Uh, but before we get too lost in the weeds of all that stuff that I just said, I want to, to make sure we focus on the point that Peter is making here in this section. So he is simply saying that all of these things that he just talked about are examples of insincere behaviors, right? He, he less wants you to go through your life with a checklist of like, have I ever done that? Do I deceive people? Am I slanderous? Like, that's not necessarily what... He, Sure, you should do that, but that's not really his point here. He, he wants to give us examples of the types of things that will prevent a sincere brotherly love. Uh, those are all examples of insincerity, right? So the idea in this passage is that we are putting off something, and we are craving or we are longing for something different instead. Um, so the author goes on to say this in verses 2 and 3. He says, like newborn infants, long for spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So as odd or graphic as a newborn infant longing after milk as a real illustration is, um, I think it's actually really helpful. Uh, it's a really helpful picture for spiritual maturity. Right? I don't know if any of you have spent <clears throat> much time around infants, uh, but when an infant is hungry and longing for milk, uh, they will make sure that you know. They are not subtle, right? So uh, inconsolable is the word that I would use that might come to mind, Um, but inconsolable to a degree, right? So uh, if, if you give them the thing that they want, that will console them, right? But it's very specific. They, they are craving that one thing. If a baby is crying because they're, they're hungry for milk and you put down a delicious lobster dinner in front of them, um, they will keep crying. That's, uh, they're not going to like that. Uh, if you make funny faces at them and you try to make them laugh, they will keep crying. That's what's going to happen. Uh, if you do anything except give them that milk that they want, that they are craving, they're going to keep on crying. But if you do give them that thing, more often than not, they stop crying, right? There's, this, there's a certain uh, single-mindedness, right, about a hungry infant. They want one thing, and they want one thing only. And so in the same way, in this passage, we're told as followers of Jesus that our growth and our maturity is contingent on our craving and consumption of spiritual milk, right? Um, and there's also there's one critical point here Uh, to take away that I don't want anybody to miss today. Um, Do you know what happens if you give an infant milk once a week for an hour and a half? That doesn't go very well, 
right? Do you think health and growth and maturity in an infant who is craving milk is going to happen with an hour and a half of feeding a week? And it, sound, it sounds crazy, right, when you, when you carry out the analogy of an infant, right? Uh, but if you, if you talk about uh, a lot of our relationships with Scripture and our relationship, our intimate relationships with other followers of Jesus, I think it actually sounds a lot like the average American Christian. Um, we'll carve out a, a little time on a Sunday, maybe a couple hours midweek if we're really feeling it, and we'll try to act like that's what following Jesus boils down to. Um, but here's a problem that I've seen, uh, specifically in the South, in the States. Uh, I think we've created a category here uh, where you can be a Christian and have no desire at all to spend time with or crave growth in relationship with Christ or with other followers of Jesus. And to be completely honest, that category does not exist in the Bible. Uh, that is not uh, a category that we can find in Scripture. And so this, this passage in 1 Peter is extremely clear in saying that like newborn infants, followers of Jesus should long for spiritual milk. Uh, and also the author gives a really helpful and oftentimes really convicting qualifier directly after that, though. Look back at what he says. He says, you will long for or you'll crave these things if what? It says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So I want everyone to just take a second to think about that last line. Um, He's saying that your life as a follower of Jesus will be marked by a trend of wanting to do these things. Because as a follower of Jesus, you have tasted that he is good. And that's awesome. Uh, But what I especially don't want people to miss is that he's also implying uh, the opposite of that. If your life is not marked by a tendency to want these things, if if your life is not marked by a longing or a craving for this thing, it's it's most likely that you you just haven't tasted it in the first place. Um, It's far more likely that that created category that we just talked about is much more of a reality for you. Uh, But for followers of Jesus, we crave those things, right? We grow in spiritual maturity through craving that spiritual milk. And so now we spend some time, we talked about what followers of Jesus are called to do in relationship with one another. We talked about uh, how we go about doing that, right? So uh, now Jesus, not Jesus, well, Jesus is in this, but Peter is going to switch to talking about why we are doing that, right? Um, so the, the how and the what, admittedly, is pretty straightforward. It doesn't mean it's easy, but it's pretty straightforward of what he talks about right here. We should love sincerely. That's pretty direct, right? Uh, we should put away things that reek of insincerity. Sure, that's, that makes sense. That's pretty clear. Um, so these commands, these lines of logic are pretty straightforward, right? It kind of boils down to like a one plus one equals two situation, right? Basic math. Uh, It's a straightforward, it's a logical equation. Uh, That being said, I want to be very upfront in saying that this next part uh, feels a lot less clear and can be downright confusing at times. Uh, This is one of the most challenging parts of the passage to understand, in my opinion. It was for me, so maybe it won't be for you, and we can talk after. That'd be great. Uh, But Peter throws a little bit of a curveball in here. So he's like, okay, you understand 1 plus 1 equals 2. You know math. Let's talk about vector calculus for a second. And it's like, that's not what, no, I can't do that. That's very confusing. 
Um, so that being said, I'm going to try to make this as clear as I possibly can. Um, I want to be able to work through this together so that this is helpful and this is clear and we can understand the flow of logic that Peter is using here. So let's take a, take a look back real quick at the passage in chapter 1, uh, verses 23 through 25. And I know we've been jumping around a little bit, but we're going we're gonna to settle here. So he says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So there's a lot to work with in there. Um, so here's what we see. Peter says that us loving one another honestly and earnestly, like we just talked about, and inversely, putting away all these various forms of insincerity that we talked about earlier, all comes from knowing that we have been born again from an imperishable seed. So he reinforces this idea uh, with a quote from Isaiah. That's what's right there in the middle. So this quote from Isaiah brings up this word glory. Uh, So glory is the idea of having meaning or having significance or importance, right? That's what glory means. Um, so, anytime we, uh, we exaggerate or, or we lie or we bend the truth, uh, anytime that we are, we are insincere in the w- things that we are saying, it's almost always because that lie or that exaggeration is going to make us look better than the truth would, right? We all do this. I do this all the time. You can ask anyone in my life group. Uh, maybe not anyone. I'll give you a list of the ones you can ask. Um, <laughs> But we, we all do this, right? It's because the exaggeration is going to make us look better than the truth actually would, right? So if I lie on my taxes, uh, it's probably because the lie is going to make me come out better than the truth would, right? Uh, if I lie on my resume, uh, it's because a potential employer might think that uh, I might be better because of it, or he might think I'm actually qualified for the job. You never know. Um, if I lie on my social media bio, right, the... It's probably because I want people to think that I'm better or more interesting than I actually am, and I want to put that in there instead of the truth. Um, So these lies bring us that feeling of glory that we just talked about, right, on one level or another, this glory that we wouldn't have otherwise. Uh, But there's a big problem with that glory uh, that we're seeking out and working towards, and that's that it fades, Right? That's exactly what Isaiah is talking about here, and that's what Peter is talking about from Isaiah. He said, all flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. Right? That glory will never last, and it was never meant to. And hear me say this very clearly. Um, if your primary goal in relationships with other people is to get glory from them, you will very quickly find out those relationships are going to be enormously shallow and they're going to be fleeting. And there will be no depth because there is no vulnerability. Right? You can either love people or you can use people, but you cannot do both. Right? You can love people or you can use people, but you can't do both. That is not a glory that is lasting and that is not a glory that will satisfy. Right? Jesus talked about this kind of glory himself in an interaction that he has with some of the religious leaders in John chapter 5, verse 44. Um, you don't have to turn there, but he says, How can you believe when you receive glory that comes from each other, 
rather than the glory that comes from the only God. So he goes straight to pointing out that we exchange the glory that comes from the only God for a fleeting glory that comes from other people or our attempt at getting fleeting glory from other people. Um, So the implication here for all of us is that if our relationships with each other are for the purpose of receiving glory and therefore built on insincerity, on, on slander, hypocrisy, deception, all those things we just talked about, if our relationships are built on those, it's going to take almost nothing for those relationships to crumble, right? The moment that we feel like we aren't able to get glory from somebody, they become completely useless to us. The moment we are confronted on our sin for our good and for our growth, or the second that conflict arises between you and another follower of Jesus, the response is just going to be to run away, right? Because there's no glory left to be had. But instead of doing all of that, Followers of Jesus are called to something completely different because of who we are in Christ, right? So uh, here's a bit of an illustration. I know that's a lot of information. Here's a bit of an illustration to try to make that flow of logic that we talked about just a little bit clear. Um, So we're going to throw that up on the screen real quick. So the first path that Peter talks about is uh, we have a desire from glory or for glory from other people which leads to insincere, deceptive behavior, which then, by default, is going to lead to shallow and fleeting relationships, right? A desire from glory from other people leads to an insincere, deceptive behavior and therefore shallow and fleeting relationships. But the alternative that we're offered in this as a follower of Jesus is the second path, which is we understand God's acceptance of us through Jesus which then leads to a sincere brotherly love. That's what we see as the natural outflowing of this acceptance that we have. And then that will lead to these lasting and fruitful and deep, meaningful relationships with other followers of Jesus. So we're going to leave that up there for just a little bit. Um, But instead of of pursuing this glory uh, through insincerity in our relationships with other people, we can build our lives on, on craving after this pure spiritual milk that, that is our acceptance by God through Jesus. Right Through Jesus, God the Father looks at us as his children too. Right? He sees us covered in the glory that we could never earn and never achieve outside of it being given to us in love. Right? So our awareness of our acceptance through Jesus has to be stronger than our desire for, to be accepted by other people. Right? Our, our awareness of our acceptance through Jesus has to be stronger than our desire to be accepted by others or this will never be possible. So we have talked about a lot this morning. Uh, a lot of it can feel heavy uh, and maybe you are a bit overwhelmed by all of it. Uh, maybe, maybe you do want to pursue these types of genuine, sincere relationships with other followers of Jesus that we talked about. Uh, and that's awesome, but you, you might not know where to start or might not know where you are, and that, that's okay. Um, the good news is uh, the Scriptures give us one incredibly straightforward way to begin pursuing these honest, vulnerable relationships with each other. Scripture is very clear in saying that that, that is confession. Right? One way to, to supercharge our relationships with sincerity is to begin regularly 
consistently confessing our sins and our shortcomings to one another. Right? Confession is the God-given way to cut out deceit and cut out hypocrisy in our lives. Uh, confession is the tool that shrinks the gap between who we are and who we pretend to be. Right? That's what confession does. And the only way that this is made possible is through Jesus. It doesn't make any sense otherwise. But we see this really clearly also in, in 1 John chapter 1. And I, I want to end here today um, as we wrap up. Uh, but 1 John 1 verse 7 uh, says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. So Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is what uh, made a way for us to be restored in right relationship with God, right? And, and through our relationship with God being restored, we now have freedom to be restored in right relationship to one another, right? We, we don't have to feel the need to seek out fleeting glory through insincerity from other people. We don't have to do that. We have the freedom to put Christ's glory on display through the way that we sincerely love one another. Um, so I want to end with a question for, for everybody to think on. Um, and you guys can, can go ahead and put your Bibles away and, and bow your heads. We're going to pray here in a minute. Um, uh, but I want to end with this question. And that's, uh, is your life marked by these things that we've talked about? Um, is your awareness of your acceptance by Jesus stronger than your desire to be accepted by people? Because you've already been fully accepted. Is, or if Jesus is precious to you, uh, if the cross isn't, isn't just one of the places that you get your value, but it is the place, then that's going to change how you live. Right? It will change the way that you love. It will change the way that you pursue relationships with other followers of Jesus. It's going to be the motivating factor and the only reason to put away malice and put away deceit, put away hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Right? And this, this is going to be one of the primary ways that our city and our world is going to see and experience what the love of Jesus really is. So let's pray. God, I uh, just want to thank you so much for um, the acceptance that we have uh, in you through what Jesus did uh, on the cross for us. Through you sending your son, um, we have been fully accepted and fully loved and have received the, the same glory that you that you see in Jesus. Um, I pray that as we all continue to, to grow in that understanding, um, that we would be able to, to look at our own lives and that we would be able to, to see the ways that we need to, to put away um, just these marks of insincerity that we've, that we've seen and that we've talked about, that we would be able to, to lean on our acceptance in you and know that... Uh, we don't have to feel the need to try to, to 
get glory from other people, to be accepted by other people in order to have value because you have already called us valuable. And, and we, don't have to, we don't have to put on a face. We don't have to, to act a certain way to try to make people think certain things about us, but that we can be vulnerable and we can confess our shortcomings and we can, we can take that before you alongside other followers of Jesus um, and we can grow in maturity and we can grow in love for one another and we can grow in our relationships with one another because that is how people are going to see your love. It's through the way that we love one another because of that. And I pray that we can do that well. I pray that we can do that um, honestly and openly when we don't do it well and uh, that we would all rely on your strength and your work on the cross and not our ability to do it ourselves. I pray these things in, in your son's name. Amen.